Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. It is game week for the Patriots as they get ready for the Eagles. It is Brady week as well as they get ready to honor Tom Brady at Foxborough on Sunday afternoon. Cannot wait. Joining us now to break that all down, it is Kyrie Thompson from Radio Boston. You can read his stuff at KDT Knows Sports as well. Kyrie, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, I'm just fresh off of vacation. I'm recharged. I am ready. It's week one. I mean, I, what else? What else do I need to say? Like I am ready to camp out on my couch and just watch football for what eight hours or nine hours or ten hours or whatever it is. I'm actually going to be heading over to a friend's house though um, after uh, the the first game of of the day because uh, they're Packers fans. I'm a Bears fan, so we <laughs> we got we got to we got to throw down. We got to we got to fight to the death. But then obviously I'm going to be checking out Brady, you know Brady Gate. You know, Brady Day, Brady Night. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait. I'm coming off a fantasy draft last night where I got an F. They gave me an F for my fantasy Ooh. draft. So I'm a little upset about that, but they were low on my draft last year, and I ended up, well, actually, this is unfortunate. People are mad about me. I left one of my leagues that I was in last year because we decided to split the pot, me and the guy that I was going to play in the championship, 
The only reason I did it is my quarterback was hurt. Lamar Jackson was hurt. So I was like, when the other guy offered, I'm like, I got to do this. So, and they crushed that draft last year for me. So we'll see if we can bounce back. I did get Bijan Robinson, which I'm very high in that yeah. Atlanta team, Kyrie. Yeah. And I actually picked up Drake London as well, because I just looked at it from a volume standpoint. Like who else is he throwing the ball to Desmond Ritter besides Kyle Pitts and Drake London? I just feel like, yeah, maybe he, he, I'm not t- yeah. saying he's one of the best receivers. Bijan Robinson. Yeah, but it's up. Op- yeah, that's true, too. But I hope Robinson has like an incredible season because that Atlanta team fascinates me, just how they play so much differently than everybody else. But anyway, I don't want to cry about my fantasy team. And this is just their opinion. This is my opinion is it's going to be a really good team. So anyway, I want to get to this. Yeah, Riley, you Reef. know what? I think you, go you, you got you got the two players that matter. So there you go. Feel good. And I got that. my homes. I got my homes. OK, I mean, come on. They gave you an Et- Okay, you know what? No, no, no. We're not gonna we're not gonna go full fantasy. You're fine. You're fine. You got three, you got three locked down right now. Yeah, and I get T. Higgins too. I mean, that guy gets a lot of touchdowns, so we'll take that. All right. So I want to start with the Patriots offensive line, which has become a story all training camp long. Riley Reef was officially put on IR, so he's out at least four games. And remember, he got injured moving to guard when he spent his entire career at tackle. And then you look at it last season, even before the injury, like last year, he wasn't good. PFF had him as their 54th ranked tackle among 87 qualifiers. So you're looking at Kelvin Anderson, who's coming off an illness, unfortunately, who missed basically all of training camp. Tyrone Wheatley Jr., who is a converted tight end, who they just traded for. Vidarian Loa guy they just picked up. City Sal, who they decided to play a tackle, even though he was a guard at the collegiate level, kind of like the opposite of what they did with Riley Reef, and then you have Michael Awenu coming back, you could push him out to right tackle, but we know he's an elite right guard, so you probably don't want to do that. So you look at how you enter the season, it almost feels like it's going to be right tackle by committee to enter the year. Is that how you feel? Because I can't imagine Kelvin Anderson, who's coming back from an illness, is going to be able to play a full game in his first week back. He said it was a real serious illness. I think that that's definitely a possibility when you look at the past couple of years especially in, in 2021 when trent brown got hurt that's essentially what it was you saw justin haran and you saw yasir durant right and, and basically just a okay who's sucking less at the time uh so i think there's there's a chance that you're going to see a little bit of that they definitely wanted to give city so a nice long look at right tackle just i think get his legs under under him and I think that there there was probably if he played well enough, you thought to yourself, maybe he's your right tackle and you go ahead and, and you and you go with that. Because in the end, Riley Reef is deaf at this point in his career. He's like 34 years old. Um, he hasn't really held up physically for for the last couple of years, um, you know, dealt with some injuries. He was passable at best, like with the Chicago Bears last year. So it's like you're not really trying to rely on him. But that's why you went ahead and and you signed Calvin Anderson, Connor McDermott, you know, people that are experienced. And then you brought in um, these other these other options via trade, because I think they're really just trying to figure out who fits the best. And that was something. Okay, I didn't ask you about that, Siri. So, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah, Siri always thinks I'd be asking her opinions on on football (laughs) stuff, but I I really didn't. Um, But I think the thing that, that always struck me is the idea of Oh yeah, maybe they'll bump on Wenu out to right tackle when when Reef was playing at guard, and I just don't think that that's how they would view this. I feel like there's a there's this fascination with Michael Michael and Wenu moving out to right tackle because he did it his first couple of years. But again, you've got to view why why did they do that? 
it was not because they wanted to. That was not right. the plan. The plan was to play him at guard in the interior. And they moved him out there out of necessity. Same deal in 2021, where he started out at left guard. They moved him to right tackle out of necessity because guys were hurt, injured, sick with COVID, what have you. But then as soon as they got the chance, they put him at right guard when they traded Shaq Mason and he dominated there. To me, this is my opinion. I think that the Patriots value a strong interior of the offensive line and a good left tackle more than they value right tackle because you can help out over there. You can scheme away edge pressure more than you can scheme away a guy barreling into Mac Jones's face right up in front of him. So to me, the answer is not, oh yeah, let's move Michael Onwenu out to right tackle and throw somebody who's not as good at him at right guard. And then if somebody's getting pantsed at right guard, what's what's Michael Onwenu supposed to do about that? Right. And and that's yeah. more detrimental to your offense. You can at least tell Mac Jones, hey, uh, your right tackle is not very good. Make sure you step up. We'll try and create a pocket someplace else for you or get the ball out of your hands. So I think to me, the answer is not moving Michael on one outside. It is to keep him where he is, where he is elite, because think about it. Right. He hasn't played right tackle that much uh, over the past couple of years. So then you, you say to yourself, where would you rather put him at a place where he would be good? And the other person might be passable at best at the position that he's at. Or would you keep him where he's elite, where he's one of the best players at his position, and then you deal with somebody passable outside of him? I think that's the answer. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's what they'll do as well. It's just troubling that all training camp long, you've been dealing with these injuries and you're entering the season that way. And we'll get into it in a little bit. You got to go against one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. But it is interesting because they bring in Bill O'Brien and... I give Andrew Callahan credit. He's the first guy that pointed this out is basically they have been preparing as if they were not going to have a great offensive line, like it was going to be a weakness. And that sort of brings me to the RPO game. And if you look at O'Brien, 2019, Deshaun Watson was fourth in attempts out of RPOs with 517. And he was, or he's fourth in attempts and 517 yards was third. And then in 2020, he was fifth in attempts and he was fifth in yards. And we saw this throughout the preseason. And we've talked about this, Kyrie, you and I before about how good Mac was at the collegiate level out of RPOs. He was basically the most efficient RPO passer. And it's also worth reiterating is that Mac Jones had a lot of trouble under pressure last season, right? Now, some of that, of course, is scheme and these receivers have to get open. But I have to imagine, first of all, Bill O'Brien wants to use a heavy RPO scheme. He did it at Alabama. He used it with the Houston Texans. So that's part of it. But I also have to imagine that part of installing this RPO game is also to kind of cover up one of your weaknesses, which is your offensive line. And I also think, just taking out the numbers, this really does help Mac just because of the fact that Mac is really good, like when he's making quick decisions, getting rid of the ball quickly. We've seen it throughout his career. When he's actually doing that, he gets hot, right? He's like a shooter in, in, in the NBA. Like when he gets hot, he gets going. We've seen him get into a rhythm. So I think this is really smart that they're implementing this. I just wish they had done it last year more, the year before more, but I'm glad that they're actually doing it this year this year yes and i think with bill o'brien in particular it, it feels like they're putting a lot on his shoulders that yeah. essentially the the biggest improvement the patriots made offensively this offseason was bringing in bill o'brien uh, yeah they, they made some cosmetic changes to the receiver room bringing in juju smith schuster instead and, and, and swapping him out for jacoby myers you get pop douglas you know demario douglas who's really been a star in training camp and brings a little bit of juice to a receiver room that was lacking it a bit. And then Kayshawn Booty, 
who came on strong in training camp. I mean, these these are all good signs. But again, it's not necessarily like, oh, yeah, because those guys are on the team. Now our wide receiving you know, group is is incredible all of a sudden. Basically, what you did is, is you got the receiving core uh, above the level it was the year before and, and above the level I think that it was in, in 2021. But it, it's still not world beating. But you don't necessarily need them to be, I think, it, in the way the Patriots are viewing it. Because in the end, if you've got a guy who can scheme them open and put them in the best positions to succeed, you're going to move the ball. And it's not just it's not about, oh, yeah, Mac, go air it out 50 yards down the field and hold on to the ball and get sacked the way it was last year. Or <laughs> we're going to we're going we're gonna to just dink and dunk you the entire time. It's also about creating yards after the catch. Right. How, how can you scheme up the hidden yards? And I think the other thing with the RPO game that you're talking about is it's not just the quick reads, but it also, I think, plays into more of what I think they want this offensive line to do is to get downhill. Because if you think about an RPO scheme, that, that's a run blocking scheme. That is not a pass blocking scheme. So you're getting them going downhill, firing off the ball and hitting somebody in front of them. And then it's up to Mac Jones to get the ball out of his hands before they end up too far down the field. So I think there's also that part of it where, yeah, they, they know that a pass could be happening, but they're they are blocking it as if it is a run. And I think that is something that they're going to want to do. They're going to want to establish the run and spread things out and give Mac Jones you know, quick decisions. But again, it's, it's all about putting players in positions where they might be the most comfortable. You get to be the aggressor in the run game, in the RPO game, when you're right. the offensive line, as opposed to having them come at you. So I think that that's going to be something that the Patriots will want to do. Try to keep this offensive line out of pure passing, you know, true drop back situations yeah. as often as possible, especially against the Eagles, because you don't want to have to have Hassan Reddick dancing on Calvin Anderson the entire night, because uh, that is what will happen uh, in, in that case. So run the ball, use RPO to try and keep them on the back foot. And then when it's time to to you know pass on second and short or you know, second and long situations or whatever, make it so that it's it's harder to pin your ears back and just get after Mac Jones. Yeah, and before I get into the Eagles in particular, because I do want to get into this week one matchup, who do you think leads the Patriots? And I'll give you my take first in receiving this year, because I'm gonna do it. So Devontae Parker, if you look at it. Past three years, 13 games, 10 games, 14 games. He hasn't been north of 600 yards since 2020. He's dealt with a lot of injuries. He's a big play guy. He's not going to be up there in receptions. Juju, he says the knee's fine. That's a little bit concerning to me, and he was very efficient last year. But that was with Kelsey as the main weapon there in Kansas City, right? That's who was getting all the attention. And throughout his career, he's been better as the number two guy than the number one guy. So... I'm going back to the well. I'm going back to the guy that I've been talking about for years. Kendrick Bourne. Okay, you go. Now, Bill Belichick is praising him. This training camp, unlike last year, we know he got into the doghouse with Matt Patricia. If you go back to 2021, 800 yards on 70 targets, 11.4 yards per target, just ridiculous numbers. That year, he was 79th in targets. And if you look at the guys that were between 70 and 78th that year in targets. So the couple of guys in front of him going from 70 to 78, only one guy had more yards. That was Dallas Goddard, and he had 76 targets, a couple more than Bourne. 
Born, if you look at the rest of the, those guys, from 71 through 78, because Goddard was 70th in targets, only two players were north of 600, okay? They were in the same range as Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne had 800 receiving yards this se that season. We know how good he is after the catch. He's put on weight. The body has changed. He looks like a beast. I mean, I keep referencing that catch that he made going up and getting it in that second preseason game. I'm going with Kendrick Bourne. Am I crazy? So... When you say leading the Patriots in receiving, are you talking about catches yards. or yards? Yards, You're yards, sorry. Yards. I, think, I think my yards prediction would probably be Devontae Parker because of the number of downfield targets. So I think yeah. Kendrick Bourne will probably, I, I think he'll probably have more catches than Devontae Parker. He may become, you know, kind of the souped up Jacoby Myers that I think that, you know, people want Juju Smith-Schuster to be. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what Juju Smith-Schuster is, obviously. But I think that in terms of, of yards, I think it could well be Parker because of the a number of times they are looking to him down the field. Like You remember that Baltimore Ravens game where they were just in lockstep. I mean, back shoulder throws down the field, corner routes, just dotting the sidelines or, or you know, hitting it down the field, hitting it down the seams. I think that is that's his go-to guy when you're talking about, okay, I trust you to just go win this fade route 40 yards down the field. I'm going to chuck it up and, and we'll see how that goes. And I think that I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now, but Devontae Parker was, was still like among the top receivers in terms of yards, even though he didn't play the full season and he didn't have that many catches just because of the yards per catch average. So that, that would be, that would be my guess, especially if, if he can maintain any semblance of health, but I think that more than likely Kendrick Bourne is going to be the favorite target on this team in terms of volume. Yeah, which kind of surprises you about the whole Juju thing, right? Because they gave him essentially the same contract as Jacoby Myers and you're paying a guy. And look, I'm not saying it's a huge contract. It's for a competent receiver in the NFL. It's a fine contract. But if he ends up being your third receiver, it's kind of like weird that you went out and that's the guy that you sort of prioritized in the offseason. I do like the fit with Mac more than Jacoby, even though they had great chemistry, just because of what he can do after the catch. And as we mentioned earlier, I want Mac getting rid of the football. And Parker, to your point, he's over 17 yards per reception last year. So <laughs> you have a couple of those a game, you're going to pile up the yardage. And the Baltimore game is a great example. We saw him just throwing it up like crazy. All right. So I want to get to breakout Patriot players. So last year you were on Ramondre Stevenson. I was on Ramondre Stevenson and he had a tremendous season. We were correct on that. So coming into this year, I'll give you one of them is kind of obvious and that's Barmore. He was 13th in pass rush grade as a rookie via PFF among D linemen. His win rate was seventh among D linemen, 14.7%. And the other thing about Barmore is he's going to be playing with guys like on the Edge, like Matthew Judon, Josh Uche on passing downs. Dietrich Wise had an outstanding season. Like teams are not keying on Christian Barmore. And I really feel like he's due for a big season. We've seen some of these D linemen. It takes them a couple of years to really get it going in the NFL. And I think that he could have a breakout season this year just because of the guys he's playing with. And he's really talented. Remember, the Patriots traded up for him in the second round out of Alabama. He easily was a first grade, uh, first round talent. The other guy, and this isn't really a breakout because he's older, but I think he could have a much bigger role and have a much bigger season. And that's Jabril Peppers, where he's versatile. He can do a lot of different things. We know how athletic he is. And I know you got a lot of depth there at the safety position when we're talking about the Kyle Duggars of the world. But I think that Peppers could have a really impactful season for this team. Like, there's a reason they kept him around, right? Like, this is not a position of need for the Patriots based on what they've had in 
previous seasons. I really think they like Peppers a lot, and I think Peppers could have a really big season in this defense. So those are kind of my two guys that I think could have breakout seasons this year for the Patriots. Where are you at? So I'm actually going to go with a couple of young guys. And I think that on, I, I think defensively especially, I think Marte Mapu is going to play a lot. I think he's going to play mm. a lot more than we think that he's going to. Yeah, I mean, the third round pick, I mean, and the thing is, like, when you have a third round pick, you expect, you know, them to be a starter or a contributor. But you look at the safety room and you say, oh, where's he going to find some space in there? And it's like, maybe he's going to be a linebacker. I think he's going to play a little bit of both. And you see and you hear the things coming out of training camp, the, the way that he flies around the football, his intelligence, the way that he is just in the coach's hip pocket, even when he wasn't practicing or playing. And then the little bit of time that you saw him on the field in preseason, the guy is a rocket. And, and I, I think that whether it's, you know, playing a role as a, you know, early down, you know, safety or, you know, kind of late down linebacker or what it has, I, f- I feel like his versatility is going to get him on the field and play a pretty significant role for this defense, which again has been, we've been talking about it for a little while, needing a jolt of speed and just kind of explosiveness and particularly with the linebacking core, right? Last year, I think a lot of us were looking at why not get a Devin Lloyd? or something like that in, in, the, in the first round or high, high in the draft that you can say, this is an explosive young linebacker that changes the speed equation that you've got, where you've got Jawan Bentley and Jelani Tavai, who are kind of just big thumping guys, right? Well, now you got Mapu and he's out there just, just over, just blitzing people all the time, obliterated somebody in joint practices on special teams. And then I think another guy to pay attention to is Keon White. Again, I think that he is somebody that, is he going to go out and have 10 sacks this rookie year? Not necessarily, but he's going to get some run. And, and I think especially he's going to get some run with the way that he defends the run and the stoutness at the point of attack. He looks polished, which I, I feel like shouldn't necessarily be that surprising. That's why you take a guy like that in the second round is you think that he can play on every single down. His technique was just outstanding in that first game, the way that you stack you up, play against the run, and then that gives you an opportunity to play against the pass. I think he's gonna. He's probably gonna do a little bit more as as a depth rotation guy than we're expecting. And then offensively, I think that there is there there is a legit role here for Demario Douglas. They were protecting yeah. him throughout the preseason and not letting him play that much. I mean, you you never know. Depending on what they what the Patriots plan to do with Marcus Jones, maybe he plays more cornerback and less returning. I mean, they they had Demario Douglas back there receiving punts. And, and I think that, that Mac Jones clearly already has a rapport with him. So again, this isn't going to be, oh yeah, rookie sixth round pick breaks out for a thousand yards. But you think about a guy like that, if he gets even 200, 300 yards receiving as, I don't know, what, what do you view him as like a wide receiver four or five? That's kind of a big deal, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and again, there's, there's that element to his game that, None of these other guys have like arguably not even Tyquan Thornton who has home run speed. I mean, I think Demario Douglas has make you miss quickness and speed. It's not just yeah. quick and fast. It's, it, it, it's not just quick or fast. It's quick and fast. So I'm I'm really curious. I feel like he could be one of the most interesting rookie wide receivers that the Patriots have had in a long time. And that's not even talking about Kayshawn Booty, who, again, I, I'm I'm viewing him as somebody that might not do a whole lot as a rookie, but is interesting nonetheless. Yeah, and the point about Douglas is a really good one because 
and I'm not comparing the players, but just from like an athletic standpoint, like you don't see that combination of quickness and speed very often. Like it's kind of like Tyreek Hill. That guy is quick and he's fast, right? Like you usually don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like you usually don't have a combination of both those things, right? Like you're usually one or the other. And in the case of Douglas, he appears to be both. And if you just look at his combine results, you look at his mock draftable page, he's like 90th percentile in all these athletic categories, including the 10-yard split. The broad jump is through the roof. The guy's just an, an absolutely unbelievable athlete. So I can't wait to see if they can actually weaponize that athleticism. And I agree with you that he's got to be part of it right now. I mean, what? He's receiver four on the team. And at some point, you're going to have injuries to your receiving core based on the history of Devontae Parker, and based on the fact that Juju, he could be dealing with something at some point because of a knee situation. And if the guy's that athletic, you may just want to get him on the field at some point just to see what he can do. I mean, we saw it last year. And look, the Patriots are in a better space in terms of the offense and the playmakers. But we saw them putting Marcus Jones out there against the Buffalo Bills. He made like the only play. Now you get a guy that's actually a receiver that you could throw out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to watching him play because and you mentioned it. We barely saw him in preseason. So we're actually going to get to see him playing games. I cannot wait for this. Okay, so let's get to the Eagles. Last year, 70 sacks. First in the NFL by 15. And they had, here's the thing though. It is a little, it's slight, they have a great pass rush. I'm not trying to take that away. It is slightly misleading because they had 16 more sacks than Dallas. And Dallas was actually better in terms of pressure percentage. This is a great D-line, but there's no way they're having 70 sacks again. The math just, there's no way it can compute to that again. But you look at it, Reddick, 19 and a half sacks, led the NFL. Josh Sweat, 12 and a half. Hargrave is now gone, but they drafted Jalen Carter out of Georgia, who may have been and the best he was player. Over there. He was embarrassing people in in preseason. Poor Ben Cleveland for the for the Baltimore Ravens on on Jalen Carter's very first ever snap. He just throws him aside, which is crazy because it's like this guy. He may have been the best talent in the draft because obviously yeah. he had some issues at Georgia, so he dropped. And then you have a team like Philly who just played in the Super Bowl and they're right there and they can draft him. Brandon Graham is still doing it. Last year he's fourth in win percentage among edge players. He's twelfth in sacks with twelve total. Now, the corners, Darius Slay. And you haven't year. talked about Nolan Smith. There's another guy. I mean, this team, I don't, I, it's unbelievable how well that they, it's amazing that they took this team away from, uh, what's his name, Howie Roseman for a couple of years and gave it a Chip Kelly. Now, I know that like every team has their ups and downs. The thing I like about the Eagles is they make up for it, right? They miss on regular, they trade for A.J. Brown. We'll get to him later. The one thing is the safety, C.J. Gardner Johnson is gone. They do have Blankenship, who they played last year. He was like basically their third safety. The one thing, the one weakness you could look at from last year, and they didn't have to do it a lot because they were always leading, is the run defense. You couldn't really expose it last year because they were in a situation where they were always ahead. 23rd in rush EPA per play, 23rd in rush success rate, 24th in yards per carry. Now, the issue for the Patriots last year is despite having one of the best backs in the NFL— they were inefficient, just 22nd in rush success rate at 39.8%. So that's a really bad number. But it does feel like if you're going to be competitive in this game, you're going to have to run the football. I know this sounds like 1990s cliche, but on paper, the Eagles are a much better team than you. You don't want your quarterback holding the ball because this is one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. My question is, do you think the Patriots can actually run the ball with some level of success against this Eagles team because it does feel like this is the one place that maybe you can take advantage of that defense. They have to run the ball with success. And and I think that's that's the thing. I think that they know that if they are forced to throw the football 
to win this game, it's probably not going to happen. So I think that what you're what you're going to see is a little bit of an old school get off the bus running sort of thing. And we are going to try to establish Ramondre Stevenson. We are going to try to throw Zeke Elliott at you in short yarded situations, beat you up. Because again, think about it. What is the strength of this team? Right. And, and, and again, you could, you could say like, okay, it's not like they were the best running team ever last year either, but I, it feels like they have a much better idea of what they are doing as an offensive line than they did last season where they were changing their terminology. You could tell they were trying to run outside zone. They didn't know how to do it and all that. They're getting back to Patriots football. That's all you've heard. And I think that in this particular case, Patriots football is we've got Trent Brown, who is the size of a small mountain. We have Michael Onwenu, <laughs> who's also the size of a small mountain and is one of the best guards in the league. David Andrews is experienced. Cole Strange, athletic as all get out, can get on the move, get some speed to power, and, and blow you up. Okay, But we don't necessarily want them coming at us. We want to come at you. And I think that is, that is the way to beat this Eagles team if it's going to happen. I mean, I would bet against it, but that is how you do it. You go at them. Okay, you establish the line of scrimmage. You push those dudes, Jalen Carter, you push him off the ball and give him a welcome to the NFL moment. You know, don't let him get downhill at you and show what he can do. Don't let Nolan Smith and Hassan Reddick, because that's the thing. If if they are coming downhill at you and Nolan Smith is running a four three and dipping around your your, you know, whether it's Trent Brown or or Calvin Anderson or Connor McDermott or whoever it is that's over there. Uh, honestly, insert cardboard cutout here. You don't want that, okay? So I think that the the best thing they can do and the thing that is absolutely imperative to them winning this game is running the football. And again, I think they have the right backs to do it because Ramondre Stevenson seemingly gets stronger as games go on. He's tough. And now you've got Ezekiel Elliott who can take some of that burden off and be a bit of a sledgehammer and short yardage or in end zone situations. I hope that if, if uh, anybody is out there looking for, for fantasy teams, that you got Ezekiel Elliott stashed on your bench somewhere because he's probably going to vulture a bunch of touchdowns. Um, but to me, I, I feel like, you know, people might look at what you're saying or be like, come on, this is the modern day. You got to throw the ball. Yeah. But when throwing the ball and protecting the pass is not necessarily your strong suit, you better be able to win in other ways. So I think this is going to be a very nice test for this Patriots team going against one of the better units in the NFL, really on both sides of the ball and seeing like, okay, well, we have some big time question marks. Can we compete in spite of it? Yeah, I can't wait to see Ramondre and Zeke. It's kind of, it's interesting. I don't know, like they had Damian Harris last year, but he was dealing with a lot of injuries, but Having that guy that can come in on third and short, fourth and short, and kind of take away some of the tough yards for Ramondre is only going to help him later on in the season. Because as we saw last year, as great as Ramondre was, and this isn't anything against him, he was gassed at the end of the season. So having oh, he, reliable, was, he was dog tired. Yeah. He was hurt. I mean, it, it was tough to watch. So at least having a guy like Ezekiel Elliott will help you from preventing wear and tear throughout the season. All right, so on the other side of the ball, Hurts, I mean, the running numbers are ridiculous. 26 runs of 10-plus yards. That was tied for fourth among non-running backs, and he only played in 15 games. 29 missed tackles forced. Only Lamar Jackson among non-running backs had more. And you look at some of the stuff, like the third down numbers are really good. The one thing you can find is, like, when he was pressured, 20th in completion percentage, but he was only pressured on 30.1% of his dropbacks, which was 28th out of 40th. 
And if you look at their run block or their pass block grade last year, the Eagles and other strength of their team is they have a great offensive line. They were first in the NFL in pass block grade. So he doesn't get pressured very often. When he was blitzed, he was 29th in completion percentage and 29th or in 20th rather in yards per attempt. So I do wonder if the Patriots will try to be timely with their blitzes to try to throw Jalen Hurts off. But it's really difficult to try to put together a game plan for Hurts because if you do blitz and you miss, well, then you're in a lot of trouble, too, because you have man coverage on the outside with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and then he can always run away from you. So I am kind of fascinated. I think the NFL is going to be fascinated to watch the scheme and the game plan that Belichick comes up with for Jalen Hurts, because if you go back to last season, nobody really figured them out when Hurts was actually playing, right? Like, go back to the Super Bowl. You could argue that he was the best player on the field, if it wasn't for that fumble, what was it right before half? They probably win that game. The Eagles do so. I just wonder, like we've seen. I don't know if there really is a blueprint to slow them down, but I am interested to see the game plan. Like Belichick's still one of the best one-game game planners that we see. Well, I think the key with Jalen Hurts is that he behind that offensive line. I mean, for one thing, there's the run game, and it kind of doesn't matter what running back they've got in there they can run the ball just fine and then you have the element of jalen hurts also being able to run especially in short yardage but i think what's interesting is that jalen hurts doesn't quite fit the mold of oh yeah if you're a, if you're a running quarterback like you want to uh keep him in the pocket right and and make him throw from the pocket it's like no jalen hurts will wreck you from the pocket he will sit back there all day if you allow him to and find an open receiver if you make him move off the spot He's, he's actually almost, which is not what you would think because of the athleticism, but you almost want to do what you would do with a normal pot, with a you know, quote unquote normal pocket passer. Move him off the spot and make him run because for whatever reason, he doesn't operate well throwing the ball on the move, which is, which is not necessarily what you would expect uh, you know, from somebody with his athletic profile. So I think that is the key. You get behind, especially with that offensive line, if you make him move, if you generate enough pressure, whether it's stunts or sending the odd blitz here or there, or, or maybe Barmore is is overpowering, right? You, you never know. But if you can force him to to escape the pocket and and make him keep his eyes down the field and you limit the scramble yards that he gets, that's actually how you derail the passing game. Because look, man, they've got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They're gonna get open, okay? If if you if you cannot confine him to the pocket and he's just gonna sit back there, then eventually one of those guys is gonna get open. So to me, you you gotta you gotta figure out whatever exotic games you can and also keep the rotation, especially opposite uh Matthew Judon, keep them fresh. And I think that's why you're you're gonna see a little bit of Keon White, assuming he's he's healthy and it's like, hey Rook, let's see what you got against a really good offensive line. For a snap here, you know, here and there, and then Josh Uche. This is going to be this is going to be a very important game for Josh Uche because I think the knock with him has always been: is he a three-down guy? Well, right. in a game like this, if he can stay on the field long enough to earn the right to rush the passer, that can make a big difference. Yeah, and I think it's going to be so interesting to see exactly what the game plan is because if you do bring pressure, if you do bring extra guys, you better get there because if you don't get there you're in massive trouble with what those guys can do on the outside. And it brings me to A.J. Brown, which to me, this is just so painful to see A.J. Brown now with the Eagles because it's like yeah. you missed on this opportunity twice if you were the Patriots. First of all, going back to the 2019 draft, we all know the history 
Nikhil Harry, et cetera. And I actually think like A.J. Brown was the guy to me that made more sense because like the Debo Samuel thing, I don't believe Debo would be as good here with the Patriots as he is with San Francisco just because of some of the creativity with Kyle Shanahan. I don't think he's a great player. I just don't think the Patriots would have got as much out of him where A.J. Brown is a more traditional number one receiver. So you had the draft and then you had two years ago when Tennessee inexplicably decided they weren't going to keep him. And now they draft Traylon Burks two years ago and they just picked up DeAndre Hopkins when it's like, oh, you have a guy in his prime that could just be doing that. It just made no sense to me whatsoever. But you look at some of the numbers last year and this is where game planning for A.J. Brown is Really difficult when you also have Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. You look at the numbers against man coverage last year. This is via PFF. 58 first downs. That was <laughs> ninth. Or total first downs. 58 was ninth. But then against man specifically, 613 yards, second most. The only guy more than him, Justin Jefferson, who's also a pretty good receiver, right? Six touchdowns against man coverage. First among receivers. 17 yards per reception. 6.6 yak perception, 11th among qualified receivers and tight end. The rating when he was targeted was 118, which was ninth among just receivers. So you have to kind of game plan for this guy specifically with a young cornerback in Christian Gonzalez. You got Jack Jones. I mean, there's a lot of different things you do. But if you're trying to take away him, then you have Devontae Smith. Then you have Dallas Goddard. It's just really difficult to game plan. Like, it's one thing if you have one guy that's at the top of the food chain. But when you have so many weapons, it's kind of like this Miami thing, right? Where you have Tyreek Hill, you have Jalen Waddell. It's just, it's a really tough passing game to game plan for Kyrie, specifically because A.J. Brown makes everybody else everybody else's job easier. And then you look at how do you match that up when you go into man coverage? Are you saying John Jones, that's your guy? I mean, he's your best corner right now, but he's also severely size mismatched when it comes to A.J. Brown. And we saw what happens when you get, you know, T. Higgins and, you know, bigger receivers up against John Jones. He, he's feisty. He's always in the right spot. Like, that's not the issue. Just sometimes he just gets plain beat because a guy's bigger than him, out jumps him, out physicals him. And I, I feel like the Patriots are probably more willing to live with that than putting Christian Gonzalez on AJ Brown because yeah. I'm sorry with with that level of physicality and experience mismatch I almost feel like you know what put athlete on athlete with you know Devonte Smith and Christian Gonzalez and see what and see what happens and then the rest of it is okay especially if you're if you're in more of a zone coverage scenario or even if you're in man you have the opportunity to to maybe bracket or shade a little bit towards AJ Brown well then like you said who's covering the other guys I think that Kyle Duggar has made he's made strides in terms of covering tight ends. So I think probably Adrian Phillips might be the better cover man in terms of you know covering tight ends one on one. You know, but I think that you've also got Jabril Peppers. You have you have a deep stable of defensive backs that you can throw at these guys to both keep them fresh, but also give different looks. And I think that's that's the one positive that they've got going for them when you go up against these really explosive teams that have so many different pass catchers with varying degrees of speed, physicality, et cetera, you got a lot of chess pieces that you can use here. But I think that if you're talking about straight, like, Oh yeah, we're just going to go one-on-one -on -one and this guy on this guy, yeah. the Eagles are still going to have the advantage here. So that's where it becomes really imperative that you, you find a way to get pressure with four people. 
Because if you don't and you have to start relying on man-to-man, well, then then a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, you, you've got one-on-one matchups that the Eagles can exploit. And number two, if you miss, if you don't get home with the blitz, then you've got nobody in the middle of the field to help you out and Jalen Hurts can start running. You know, so, yeah. so there, there are all kinds of, of issues that can be presented here. And so it's going to be a game where they've got, they've got to be able to, to get home with four, get some pressure with four, and maintain their rush discipline. This is, this is a game where technique arguably is as, as important as talent. Yeah, and it's going to be one of these games where you need something to happen, right? Like, you need a big turnover from the defense. Like, you are oh, David yeah. in this game. You're going up against Goliath. You need some sort of turnover. Maybe a big return on special teams. We've seen that in the past as well. Maybe something where they pull a rabbit out of the hat. They do something with that you're not expecting. Something crazy needs to happen in this game for the Patriots to really, first of all, get the momentum, right? Like, get the crowd into this game. Get yourself an advantage. Make the Eagles play from behind, something they basically didn't do the entirety of last season because they were blowing everybody out. So hopefully that's something they can do. But Kyrie, I want to get your take on something just in the NFL in general. And it's sort of the teams that you're high on, right? Not like the the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys, we know all that. But some of these teams that maybe weren't like contenders last year, but could see themselves as contenders this year. Like the two teams I look at, I'm not high on the Jets. I don't believe in their offensive line. And I've watched Robert Sala throughout this Hard Knocks experience. It makes me even lower on the Jets. Their defensive coordinator on Hard Knocks has not presented himself well. He's against the do your job slogan where it's like, all right, it's kind of worked, man, for like 20 years. Like trying to say that's not a good saying is ridiculous. Maybe I'm just being too much of a Patriots fan. But the two teams for me in the AFC, and I'll give you one in the NFC that I like. The Jaguars, who, of course, they came back against Justin Herbert last year. I love Trevor Lawrence. I love that offense. And... They're bringing back Ridley, who after, of course, the suspension last year to go along. I like Christian Kirk, too. Like, people make fun of that contract. He played well for that team last year. Now he gets to be sort of the number two guy. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think I love plus 1,600. I mentioned this the other day on FanDuel for MVP. I love that because I think they're going to win the division. So I like them a lot. And the other team I really like is the Ravens, where... They make a change at offensive coordinator, and they bring in Odell Beckham Jr., and I know you're a huge Zay Flowers guy. They bring in Zay Flowers. I think Lamar is going to be back in the MVP conversation again, so I really like that team, and despite some—I know they're dealing with the Humphrey situation in terms of an injury. They always sort of figure it out on defense, right? They always figure it out on that side of the football, and then the one team in the NFC, and I know this is sort of like everybody's getting on this team, is Atlanta. And the reason I like Atlanta is because, uh, and I mentioned this at the top when we're talking about fantasy, Bijan Robinson, and I know like we can criticize the pick or whatever, he's going to be great in that offense because it's Arthur Smith. He's a great offensive mind. I like Drake London. I like Kyle Pitts. I like what they can do from an offensive perspective. And the other component about them is they really are in a bad division with the exception of the Saints, right? So those are the three teams to me that I'm really high on that weren't like coming into the season as big time contenders. Who are your teams? Like, do you agree with my list? You dislike my list? Where are you at? You killed me with the AFC. You took both the teams that I that I had in mind, especially with the Ravens. I am really hyped for the Baltimore Ravens because I think that for the first time, Lamar Jackson has about as close to a full deck as at wide receiver, at wide receiver specifically, than he, that he's ever had before. I mean, you don't know what 
percentage of prime Odell Beckham you're going to get necessarily, but the reports are that he looks pretty good. And I think even 80% of prime Odell Beckham is that's a number one receiver. That's a very good player. Zay flowers. Again, I, I think, I think what has been missing with the Baltimore Ravens partly is the ability to just to create after the catch is made and, and, and to, and to hit a home run. You saw it a little bit and again, it's preseason, I know, et cetera, but I mean, Zay Flowers, you know, turn in a, a busted coverage basically into a 20-something yard touchdown where he just finds the space and gets into the end zone. He makes a couple of moves, make, making people miss all over the place. Good gracious. And then that allows Rashad Bateman, who people were really high on, to be a wide receiver two or three, depending on, on what Zay Flowers does. And then we haven't even talked about Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. Yeah. And by the way, my my favorite player of preseason has been Keaton Mitchell. Oh my God. I wanted Keaton Mitchell so bad as like a sixth round flyer at running back because he's so tiny, but he is just absolutely just lightning. And every time he touched the ball, he did something awesome in preseason. And again, he's going to be like running back four or whatever, but just that's appointment TV whenever that kid touches the football. So I'm very invested in that. As far as teams that that could be sneaky interesting, I, I've been loath to kind of buy in here, and, and I think I, I've pumped the brakes on them a lot. But I'm just really interested in, are the Detroit Lions really going to be good? I, I mean, yeah. I feel like that that is the question that so many of us want to know because they were they, they were so close to sneaking into the playoffs last year, and people were like, oh, are, are the Lions back? I don't. I don't particularly believe in Jared Goff, but I do believe in, in offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. And as much as I really hated pretty hard on the first round pick, Jameer Gibbs, like taking him number 12 overall, I love Jameer Gibbs as a player. So I, I'm, I think that is, that is a very kind of, oh, how dare you, Lions? How dare you get that guy? Um, because I think he's he is he's baby Alvin Kamara. He is Alvin Kamara 2.0. And then you put him in there with Amon Ross St. Brown. And then I, I mean, I think that he is just he's gonna open things up for that offense because I feel like the Detroit Lions have been looking for a true game breaker at running back for a long time. And they might have just drafted him. So and again, I think I think the key is gonna be Detroit's defense. Because I think that tends to be the limiting factor very often with them. Oh, you're great. Your offense is scoring 30 points a game, but you yeah. almost lost to the Bears, right? Um, so, so it's like it, it's it's things like that. Um, but again, you've got Aiden Hutchinson coming in, and and I think he's he's turning himself into a, a budding star. I think. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that's a team that could contend for the NFC North title. I mean, you think, look at that division. It's pretty wide open if you, if you really think about it. So again, that's another situation like what you talked about, I think with the Jaguars where it's like, that's a bad division. So you might be able to just win that by default. And then if you get in, you never know what's going to happen sometimes in the NFL playoffs. Yeah. I, the only thing I don't like a couple of things I don't like about the Lions. First of all, Hutchinson, like you said, he's coming into his own. The eye black game is terrible, man. I don't know what that is. Like the, he just got it like over one eye and it's like going down from his like forehead down, like all the way near his Look, mouth. I, I mean, I mean, no, no one accused this man of having, you know, first round <laughs> swag. You know what yeah, I mean? No, I mean, nobody said that. 
It's a brutal look. But the other thing is, like you mentioned, the defense. Like, I'd still be concerned about that defense in Detroit. The team I'm actually higher on in the NFC North. And look, maybe this is just bias of like watching and play against the Patriots. But man, I Don't was impressed it. with Don't Jordan do Love. It. Don't do it. You're not a fan? No, no, go, I, go ahead. Continue. Continue. I, well, I was just like, some of the throw, I'm like, some of the throws he makes, I'm like, he kind of looks like the way that Rodgers throws the ball, just like the form. You know what I mean? Like in the quick release and i kind of like some of those young receivers i like dobbs so we'll see about that i i'm interested to see like lafleur without rogers because that could be yeah. a bad look for rogers right like if lafleur gets that team to the playoffs like what if the packers make the playoffs and the jets don't make the playoffs it'd be like uh, the opposite of the brady thing where brady goes to tampa they win the super bowl the patriots in the cam newton year sort of they, somehow they got to eight wins that season. But the point being is like it was Brady was the clear winner. Like what if there's a scenario where Rodgers isn't the winner of like them moving on from Rodgers? That would be crazy. I, I mean, I think that is a legitimate possibility because look, for me, I feel like you got to show me if you're the Jets. I think they've got the player. They've got the personnel to be a playoff team. And I think they probably will be a playoff team. But I think there's a part of me that thinks they're going to be a playoff team, but they're not going to win a playoff game because I feel like they, they might get in as a wild card. And then all of a sudden you're looking at it like, OK, well, now you got to go play the Chiefs or the Bengals yeah. or the Bills. And I don't think you're like that yet. You know what I mean? And so and, and I mean, again, the, the Chicago in me wants to see that. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think the Packers are again, I, I don't love their defense either they're, i think they're they're fine um i just it's so hard to know what's going to happen with jordan love it's so hard to know yeah. what he's going what he's going to be and there are people that have him you know kind of ranked tentatively above say like justin fields and there's a part of me that's like he hasn't played so how can you know that but i think there is a little bit of something to the the intrigue around him the fact that he did spend all that time learning from Aaron Rodgers. And I do think that there are some glimpses of a good player in there, of a good quarterback. The For question sure. is, can, can, can he do enough to earn a second contract? Because this is just such an interesting situation that they could have moved on from Rodgers last year for love. And so they bent over backwards to keep Rodgers in town. And then he skips out. They, they, they trade him this year and say, you know, what? okay, we're tired. We're tired of the show here. We, we need, we, we need some clarity. We're going to go with Jordan Love. And I think that, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like he could well be better than some of us think that he will be. I just don't think that's a playoff team with him in, his, in, in this first iteration of Jordan Love. If he's okay, though, in his first year as a starter, I feel like it's kind of like all bets are off. And again, this, this division is begging for someone to stake their claim to it, I feel like the Bears made enough moves in uh -oh. theory to, to, to their skill positions where if Justin Fields is more than just a guy that runs around, which, I mean, he was in college, right? Like, he didn't really run that much in college. He was a passer, right? Yeah. But that could be your surprise team of the year but the problem is the offensive line is still bad and the defense might be really bad so i mean that, that defense might be the worst one in the division so i'm not going to make any proclamations about the bears but it, that is just a division full of what we don't know what the hell is going to happen yeah
So before I let you go, since you're a Bears fan, covered the Patriots for a long time, who is more likely not to be their team's starting quarterback in 2024, Justin Fields or Mac Jones? I'm leaning towards Fields, and the reason I say that, and I loved Fields coming out of the draft. I actually wanted the Patriots to go up and and trade up to get him just because I feel like in the modern-day NFL— you can actually develop quicker if you have the running skills, right? Like we've seen it. Like that can actually be an advantage when in the past we thought, oh, traditional pocket passer, like that's what you want. It's turned out these guys that can run the football like a Josh Allen, like, okay, even though he's not a great passer early, he can develop as a runner. And then eventually we knew what the tools were, right? Same thing with fields. We know what the tools are. But if things go south for the Bears and you look at what's coming into the next draft with all these quarterbacks, right? Like watching over the weekend, Caleb Williams is an absolute freak. Drake Drake May from North Carolina. This guy's really good as well. So, I mean, and you start to think about it, and I know that Arizona basically is in a great position now with it. Like, they're tanking. They're getting ready to get Caleb Williams, and they could have the number two pick as well, considering that Houston's not going to be very good. But I could easily see, like, the Chicago season going a lot more south than the Patriots season, where I think the Patriots, at the very worst, are going to be mediocre the middle of the first round. So I think it's more likely that it would be Fields just because of where they're at and sort of the draft process, where they're at as an organization, and the fact that Ryan Poles wasn't there when they drafted him. I think I, I agree with you 100%. I think that there are a couple of factors to that. Number one, like like you said, I think the Patriots, I can't see them being bad. They'll, they, yeah. could, they'll, they might be mid, but I feel like their <laughs> their floor is seven games. That's the floor to me. Um, I mean, you think about it, they won eight games last year with absolute chaos on offense. Like, I mean, it just just absolute <laughs> like just a, just a crapshoot entire every week. The Chicago Bears, you know, were, were the number one overall pick this past year for a reason. I mean, they wanted to be bad. Like, let let's be honest here, they wanted to be bad in order to have that opportunity. Fields played well enough to get past one shot at the number one pick. Right. And I think there, there, there was a reason to be intrigued, right, by, by what he did. Because if you think about it contextually, I had somebody compare this and be like, oh, Mac Jones played like way, way better as a rookie um, than Justin Fields did last year and et cetera. And I'm kind of like, well, at their peaks, they were almost exactly the same. Like to, to the like thousandth of a, of a point in terms of, uh, you know, EPA and, uh, you know, completion percentage over expected, like literally to a thousandth of a point, they were exactly the same at their best periods. And I feel like when you look at the context behind what they were in those years where Mac Jones was basically like, don't screw it up, you know, just, just throw the ball to the right person, run, we'll run the football and you don't have to do a whole lot versus Justin Fields were like, yeah, you kind of got to be Superman if we want to even compete in this game. And he did it over and over and over and over again, despite being, you know, limited as a passer. Still, you look at it and say, that was pretty damn impressive. Here's the thing, though. The Bears are going to have the Panthers first round pick. And that first round pick might be high because, first of all, I mean, Bryce Young, I really like Bryce Young, but I feel like there is a high probability he gets injured behind that offensive line. And they got Brian Burns potentially not wanting to play. He's holding out for, for a contract. Like, man, if Brian Burns doesn't play, that oh, my God, that's going to be a terrible defense. Like, like, that team could suck real bad. And so you've got Arizona 
potentially, I mean, they're, they're going to try to get that number one overall pick. The Panthers are probably going to be in the running for that. They are going to be up there in that area. So even if the Bears aren't bad, I mean, it is like if they are bad, then then Chicago gets two first round picks in that year. And I would just trade, I would trade both of them for Caleb Williams in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. if, 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 if Fields is bad, if Fields is good, somehow like like good or like wow he really took the leap you might still it, but but the bears ha, are aren't very good you might still think to yourself okay that's great he was good but Caleb Williams bro like he's 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 insane right like this could be like you know Patrick Mahomes on steroids kind of stuff so i feel like it is it is absolutely a consideration that you've got to have whereas i think with with the patriots and with mac jones i feel like the fit with bill o'brien is so good for what Mac Jones wants to do. I expect them to be better. And I also think that I feel like it's got to be a pretty particular kind of quarterback that the Patriots are going to want to take, especially yeah. if Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien are, are in town. So you could see a Caleb Williams if like the Patriots somehow ended up having the number one overall pick, right? Like yeah, they probably would, but they're not going to be looking at, you know, just they're not they they are going to want somebody more like mac jones than like a michael Penix or something right. even as good as he is where he can throw the ball flat-footed like 50 yards with nothing but his but his upper body right so i i think that it's just going to be almost harder to find the ideal quarterback that the patriots like to work with as opposed to if, if the bears don't get what they need from justin fields they're going to be a host of options up high in the draft they might get multiple shots at it that i feel like the likelihood is there at the same time the bears have done for justin fields what the patriots have not done for mac jones and what other teams have done for their third year quarterbacks they gave him an actual number one receiver so i'm curious to see what the fields dj Moore connection looks like and if some of those weapons can help him look more the part of a passer because if he's even an average passer with what he does with his legs, we're honestly like there might not. And, and I, I grew up with Michael Vick. There might not be a quarterback that has ever run the way Justin Fields has run in the NFL. It's honestly kind of insane. Um, if, if he's even an average passer, then that's your quarterback to me. But he's got to get to average. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, like with the Patriots, you mentioned they want a quarterback that's probably similar to Mac is, well, Mac's on their resume. They selected him, right, with the 15th overall selection. So if you have to move on from Mac, you're restarting this cycle. It doesn't look good, right, organizationally. Like this is Bill Belichick with a first-round quarterback. It doesn't look good if you have to move on from him and he doesn't even make it to the second contract. So I think they want to do everything they can to make Mac Jones work out here with the Patriots. And I'm optimistic that he's going to have a good season. If, if Mac Jones does get a second contract, because we, we, Isaiah Wynn did not, um, he, he got franchise tagged or, or, well, no, no, he got his fifth year option picked yeah. up. If Mac, if Mac Jones does actually get a second contract, he would be the first, first round pick of the New England Patriots to get a second contract since Dante Hightower. Holy shit. Is that true? <laughs> yes. I, I looked it up a couple of years ago. Oh, my. Yeah. It's it's that bad. It's been that bad. Well, hopefully it starts a trend like Christian Gonzalez gets one after him. Like, hopefully this starts a trend because, man, 
That is bad. That is a bad look. So hopefully for Mac, I mean, we should have, like, if that happens, there should be a celebration at Gillette. Hey, Mac Jones receives the second contract. Nobody has we done it have since. A part. We're going to have a party on this podcast. We're going to get we down. Got, we're going to have to. We're going to have to. All right. That is Kyrie Thompson from Radio Boston. Check his stuff out. KDT knows sports as well. Kyrie, thanks so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk again this season. Yes, sir. The NFL is back, and the best place to celebrate is on FanDuel, because right now, all customers can get a no-sweat bet for Week 1. Just place a bet on any Week 1 NFL game, and you'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. And some of the Week 1 games I'm looking at, I like Atlanta. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Carolina Panthers, who are busting out a rookie quarterback. I really like that Atlanta team. They're going to run the ball like crazy with Bijan Robinson. I like Atlanta to cover the three-and-a-half. Baltimore gets the Texans, and I know it's a big spread, 10 points. I really like what Baltimore did in the offseason, bringing in Odell Beckham Jr., getting Zay Flowers, and we're going to see Lamar Jackson have an opportunity to get back in the MVP conversation. I like the Ravens to cover the 10, and I like the Jaguars to cover the 4.5 against the Colts, who the Colts also breaking into rookie quarterback, and I really like Trevor Lawrence after what he did last season. Liked him in terms of his odds, plus 1,600 for the MVP as well. I really like that Jacksonville offense, and they're getting Ridley back to go along with Christian Kirk, who had a really good season. So I like the Jaguars to win that division, by the way, too, but I like them to cover the four and a half in week one. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike King. Kick off the NFL season with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash Pike. 21 plus in president select states. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from my buddy Kyrie Thompson as we get you ready for not only a game on Sunday, but Brady coming back as well. And that's what I want to get to. I want to get into my top five Tom Brady moments. It's very difficult to break it down into five, but he's getting honored on Sunday. So this is the perfect time to do this. Now, Brady, by the way, before we get into this, he was on his podcast on Monday night, and this is what he had to say about his return. A lot of gratitude. I, I had two decades of incredible, life-changing, altering experiences. I have so many memories from my time there, memories with people there. I'm creating a new memory with the people there to go back to that stadium and bring my kids and my family in a different way. 
I've not been to that stadium in this way ever. I went there as a player. I went there as a competitor. And now I'm going there really as a fan. And then I'm going to be there in the future as a broadcaster. We'll see about that. I know Tom keeps saying he's going to do it. I'm, I'm not so sure he's going to be, to be doing the Fox thing. He says, I don't think it's going to be hard to be a fan, though. I love sports. I love the Patriots. So going up there and seeing a lot of friends and family is going to be a great experience. So it's going to be emotional for Tom coming back to New England as well. Totally different emotions as a player. He wants to beat the Patriots, but this is going to be crazy. It's really going to be a wild emotional scene on Sunday afternoon at Gillette. And then there's a game, right? So (laughs) for the players, it'll be fine. But for the fan base, because there's not a lot of carryover from when Brady played, like we're talking about the Matthew Slaters of the world. There's not a lot of guys left from when Brady was there. But for the players, I think it's going to be fine. For the fan base, it's going to be wild. I just hope they keep this thing close against the Eagles. And I'll give you my official pick on the Thursday pod. And hopefully they can pull out a win, right? I hope that's the case because... If the Eagles run them off the field, it's going to be really ugly in that building because you have the living embodiment of what it was for so long. Like the Patriots winning at the highest level, he'll actually be in the building. So from an organizational perspective, if you're there and you're getting killed by the Eagles, a team that was close to doing what the Patriots did so many times, which is winning the Super Bowl. And this is a team that almost won it a year ago. And you look like you're not on the same page as them or not in the same zip code in terms of when it comes to a competitive aspect. It's going to be really tough in that stadium when you're seeing the guy that was there for the six Super Bowls. It's going to be really difficult. So for the sake of the fan base, I hope this game is competitive and the Patriots, I hope they look like they're onto something with Bill O'Brien and the scheme they're bringing back because I would also feel bad for Mac Jones if this gets out of hand like in the second half and the Eagles, we know they're very capable of blowing teams out. But if it gets out of hand, I'd feel really bad for Mac because remember the zappy chance on Monday Night Football? Brady's in the building. What do you think the trade? What do you think the chance are going to be like on Sunday afternoon when Brady just got honored? And if Mac Jones has a poor performance or something along those lines, it's just going to be crazy at Gillette on Sunday. But it is Brady week, as we mentioned. So I want to get to my top five Brady games slash moments, if you will. And there's so many from the list And yours could be different than mine. Remember, this is favorite moments, favorite games, because from my perspective, the second Patriots dynasty is more vivid to me because of my age, right? You may be in an age bracket where the first dynasty is more vivid to you, right? Because you went through more suffering as a Patriots fan than I did when basically all I knew was winning. But anyway, before we get to this list, I do want to say there is sort of a non-Patriots moment that needs to be mentioned here before we get into the list, okay? For legacy purposes, what Brady did in 2020 in Tampa put him on another level, which I didn't even think was possible at that particular point in time. Like, he already has six Super Bowls. Yeah, winning without Belichick would be great, but it was even better for a different reason. Now, remember, from Brady's first prime, I guess you would say, because basically he had three Hall of Fame careers, but if you look at his first prime, there's really no comparison between him and Peyton, right? Peyton was carried to a Super Bowl in 15, the second one. And he won one in 06. The Patriots would have won that if the Colts didn't have that epic comeback. Remember, they got to play the Bears in the Super Bowl. But Brady unequivocally goes down as the best quarterback of that era. Like, it's not even a debate now. So he was better than his closest contemporary, Peyton Manning. He passed Joe Montana with the fifth Super Bowl in the Atlanta game in terms of accomplishments. Most thought he had already passed him, but now he had the rings too. So Brady outplayed his contemporary, and he outachieved his predecessors, if you will. And then there's what he did in 2020. So now Brady, certainly, he was helped by an elite defense in 2020. That Tampa defense was awesome, and they destroyed teams throughout the postseason. 
But in the playoffs, he beats Drew Brees and the Saints. Brees is done after that. And then he goes into Lambeau. And yes, there was not a full crowd there because of COVID. It was less than 8,000 fans. But he did, and he had some interceptions. But remember, Rodgers was the MVP that season. Brady made the critical plays. Remember, before half, found Scotty Miller to make it 21-10. to 10. So this was the guy that was considered to be the most talented quarterback of all time. Remember, that used to be the narrative with Rodgers. Before him, it was John Elway. Maybe now it's Pat Mahomes. But you get the point. Brady goes in there and he beats him. So Rodgers has this golden opportunity to get to his second Super Bowl. He can't do it because Brady's there. And then when the Super Bowl comes around, Brady beats the next guy labeled as the most talented quarterback of all time, as I mentioned with Pat Mahomes. Mahomes was in a situation where he's on the run all day because of that Tampa defense. And they had all these issues with the offensive line that year. The Chiefs did with injuries, and we saw that they would upgrade it the next offseason. But Brady in that game was efficient as hell, 21 of 29, 72.4%. They blow out the Chiefs. He has three touchdowns. So what did this do? Well, this put Brady ahead of Mahomes in the postseason in terms of being 2-0 against him head-to-head. And we'll get to another game in my top five Brady moments when we talk about the other Pat Mahomes game. But Brady, after the Chiefs Super Bowl win last season, it's now seven for Brady and it's two for Mahomes. Brady prevented Mahomes from getting two more, right? I think we all believe the Chiefs would have beaten the Rams the year that the Patriots did in the Super Bowl. So on two occasions, Brady prevented a guy from catching up to him and creating the argument, right? Because we know everyone wants to give it to Mahomes, right? People hate the Patriots. They want Mahomes to be the guy over Brady, right? Like in the national media, most people want it to be Mahomes. But if you look at it, and Brady, if you look at this now, it could easily be 5-4, right? If Brady doesn't beat Mahomes head-to-head, he only has the five. Oh, I'm saying only, like it's crazy. He has five Super Bowls, and Mahomes could already have four Super Bowls. Maybe it doesn't work out perfectly for him in all those games, but he could have four Super Bowls. Brady stopped him twice in the postseason. I mean, think about it. Mahomes is only lost to, he's only lost to, in the postseason, Burrow and Brady. That's it. Those are the only guys that have beaten him in the postseason, right? And remember when they won in 2019, the Chiefs did. So if you add 18 and 20 to that mix, I mean, Mahomes' resume, it's looking a little bit ridiculous. And it's looks like, oh, he's unequivocally going to close the gap, right? Like if it's 5-4 right now, you think, yeah, Mahomes is definitely catching him because I think anybody would be shocked if Mahomes doesn't get at least one more Super Bowl. So the point is, Mahomes' career, when it's all said and done, you always have this Brady argument if you're Tom, right? Like Brady always has this argument. Is this what have been like if Magic Johnson had eight championships compared to Jordan having like five. And Jordan, instead of when he beat Magic in the NBA Finals, it was actually Magic that beat Jordan, right? So Brady did what Magic could not do to Jordan. He didn't let the new star be the guy that was winning the most Super Bowls on his watch. He prevented it not once, but twice. And that's such an underrated part of the Brady legacy. And when we look back, he played in the same era, right? This isn't Jordan and LeBron, where you debate Jordan and LeBron, like I saw it on first take this morning, by the way, where I'm like, why the hell are they having this debate today? It doesn't make any sense. But the point being with Mahomes and Brady, they actually played against each other. And yeah, Mahomes beat him during the regular season, but Brady got the best out of Mahomes on two different occasions in the postseason. This guy was in his 40s and he was beating Pat Mahomes. So it just, that argument that Brady's always going to have in his back pocket, not that Brady even wants to have it, but the Brady backers, if you will, 
Yeah, you mean Mahomes, who ended up his with his five Super Bowls in his career? Well, Brady had two more, and he also beat him twice in the postseason. Brady's always going to have that argument, which is just a remarkable thing to have, especially against that guy and that team who do not lose many football games. Okay, so let's get into my top five list, and then we'll bring in Jamie McClellan, producer extraordinaire, to dissect it and maybe put his spin on this if he's got a different top five than me. Okay, so number five on my list the regular season finale in 2007, okay? Brady finds Randy Moss for his 50th touchdown pass, breaking Peyton Manning at the time, who had 49. It's amazing to me that Marino had 48 in 1984. It's crazy that he had that many touchdown passes in 1984. And then, of course, Manning would eventually break it, but he got to 50 touchdown passes. He broke the record, the final game of the regular season, and Randy Moss in that same game, of course, caught his 23rd touchdown reception, passing the great Jerry Rice. So the Patriots win that game, they complete the perf- perfect season, and we all know what happened in the Super Bowl. I want to get into this. These are my top five moments, okay? Not my top five losses. But in the moment, that was a celebration that nobody had since the 1972 Dolphins, where a team went through the regular season undefeated. And remember that Miami team, it was only a 13-game schedule. And we start to think about it at that time, what the narrative was with Brady. It was, yeah, Brady has won these championships, but it's Belichick, it's the defense. Now, Tom got a lot of credit, but we always backed it with, well, he has the greatest coach in the NFL, and he has all these great defenses. And remember, that was Brady's first MVP. It's crazy to think about it, that a guy had won three Super Bowls, and he hadn't won an MVP yet. And I'm not saying that Brady deserved an MVP in one of those other seasons, but it's kind of remarkable, right? The guy gets three rings before he gets his first regular season MVP. And so that season sort of put him on the same level as Peyton Manning in terms of the perception of, well, hey, he's not just playing for a winning factory with Bill Belichick and these defenses. He can actually carry an organization offensively because remember, he was just coming off 06 where the Chargers were this unbelievable team. He went into San Diego with a bunch of random receivers. Remember, Rache Caldwell led the team in receiving that year and they beat that team. But at that point, most people consider Peyton to be the better regular season quarterback, right? He... And Brady that season in 07 really broke that argument, right? Where it's like, actually, no, if you give Tom, because Manning always had Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, if you give Tom elite level weapons, which Randy Moss was, he could be better than Peyton Manning from a statistical perspective. Because if you look at that season, he led the league in completion percentage, passing yards, passer rating, and touchdowns, obviously. He swept it all. And that was the big thing, is could he be Peyton Manning in terms of the individual accolades, and he had one of the best seasons we've ever seen in NFL history. Now, I've said on multiple occasions, I believe Tom's best season is 2016, but that was his best season up until that particular point in time where that was some of the best quarterback play we've ever seen, and that was just such a fun time. I mean, the Brady Moss thing was awesome. Remember, they didn't unleash Moss until the start of that season. He didn't play in the preseason games, and I just remember that moment was so fun. And look, I understand, and I mentioned it, it sucked that it ended up in a Super Bowl loss, but that moment when you went undefeated and you broke the records, Brady and Moss, it was just so awesome. I remember watching that game with a bunch of my buddies were going nuts. It was just an awesome moment to be a Patriots fan. We had already had three Super Bowl victories, and it's like, holy shit, this is going to be the best team out of all of them. It was just, that was an unbelievable season to watch. Okay, number four on my list. Going back to what I briefly alluded to earlier, the 2018 AFC Championship game. Now, as I mentioned, the narrative portion, it prevented Mahomes from getting a Super Bowl. That's a huge accomplishment in terms of the Brady-Mahomes debate, which I feel like it's going to be the new Jordan-LeBron thing years from now. But also think about this. The Patriots that season, they were 11-5. and They struggled at times. 
It's crazy to think about, but they lost to Matt Patricia in the Lions. They lost to Matt Patricia. Okay, they lost to Miami and Pittsburgh late in the season in weeks 14 and 15, which the Patriots ordinarily don't lose late, right? They always play their best football. Now, this is during the Brady era, not recently. They've played poorly down the stretch of some of these seasons, but they play their best football late in the season. That was always the thing with Belichick and Brady, and they really weren't down the stretch of that year, and there were doubts about that team. And you were coming off that historic Brady performance in the Super Bowl in 2017 where he broke his own record for passing yards with north of 500, and you had that whole Malcolm Butler issue, right? So there was sort of controversy as Bill and Tom on the same page. There was a lot of stuff going on, all this Alex Guerrero stuff. And then they get into the playoffs, and they have this game against the Chargers where they line up in the same defense the whole game. Brady just destroys them. It was idiotic game planning by the Chargers. But nonetheless, after that game, Brady has the famous interview where he says, everybody thinks we suck. <laughs> Remember that with Tracy Wolfson? And then you're thinking, wait, maybe they have something here. Could this team actually beat the Chiefs? And then they did. And remember, the Patriots are running away with the game. Belichick and the defense, they hold the Chiefs, which is remarkable to think back to. They held the Chiefs scoreless in that first half. But then they come flying back in the second half to the Chiefs with Pat Mahomes, the MVP. The Chiefs take a 21-17 lead. The Patriots come right back, 10 plays, 75 yards. It ends with a Sony Michelle touchdown, 24-21 pats. Chiefs go right down the field and score. Then Brady and company go right down the field again. Brady finds Gronk, 25 yards. They set up a Rex Burkhead touchdown. That makes it 31-28. to They're going to win the game, right? 39 seconds left. But then Mahomes works his magic. 21-yard completion, 27-yard completion. They set up a field goal. You go to overtime. And just remember... If you remember back to that time, when you're watching this game, you're like, holy shit, they better win the coin toss. They better win the coin toss. Whoever wins the coin toss is going to win this game. So it basically comes down to the coin toss. The Patriots win the coin toss. And what does Brady do? It's not easy in overtime. He converts three third and tens. Third and 10 at the 25, he finds Edelman. Third and 10 at the 45, he finds Edelman. Third and 10 at the KC30, finds Gronk. Unreal. And eventually Rex Burkhead ends up in the end zone. But three third and tens with the game on the line against that juggernaut that was the Kansas City Chiefs. And as we've seen since that moment, they have been the team in the NFL. That was just magical. Ice cold, under pressure. And remember Brady flipping the helmet off. He's got the scuba gear scuba gear on. They're going nuts on the field. It was just an awesome, awesome game. So I get it wasn't a Super Bowl, but once they won that game, come on. We knew they were beating the Rams. Everybody knew they were beating the Rams after the, they did that. It was kind of like when the Patriots, or excuse me, when the Red Sox, remember when they beat the Yankees in 04? It's like, yeah, the Cardinals are not going to compete with the Red Sox, and they swept them. And I know it was an ugly Super Bowl, but that moment, Brady beating Mahomes at Arrowhead, and Belichick, too, give him credit for that first half. But after all the ups and downs, that team had. And after what happened at the end of 2017, you felt like maybe this is the end of the dynasty because of... Some of the guys, some of the players, in particular Brady, being upset about the Malcolm Butler situation, for them to actually get that 2018 Super Bowl was remarkable to me. All right, number three on my list in terms of my top five Brady moments slash games, if you will, it's the 2001 Rams Super Bowl, Brady's first, right? And the organization's first. Of course, prior to that, you had the tuck rule game against the Raiders, and then you had the AFC title game where Bloodsoe came in for an injured Brady. And the debate in town, and we actually talked about this with Drew Bledsoe when we had him on the pod a couple months back, was, hey, is it Bledsoe or Brady? Like, there was legitimate, like, that was the hottest topic in Boston Sports Talk Radio at that particular point in time, naturally. Which guy are you going to start? And there was a lot of people that wanted Drew, uh, Drew Bledsoe to be the guy just because 
This is a guy that just won you the game against Pittsburgh, right? But he goes with Belichick, Belichick goes with Brady, and clearly he was right. Dynasty is born, and the Patriots, remember that whole game. The New England Patriots have decided to be introduced as a team. You get goosebumps. It's like, this is crazy. This has never been done before. You get all these other teams, like, they're introducing all the offense of players for the Rams, and you get the MVPs, the Kurt Warners, the Marshall Fox. You get some of the great receivers in the NFL, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, and here come the Patriots, this team that is massive underdogs, and they end up winning this game. And a lot of it is, look, the defense was great against the greatest show on turf, but you had the magical moment. It's 17-17, late in the fourth quarter. Patriots get the ball back on their own 17. This is what John Madden says, who was calling the game. With no timeouts, I think the Patriots with this field position, you just have to run the clock out. You have to play for overtime now. I don't think you want to force anything here. You don't want to do anything stupid because you have no timeouts and you're backed up. <laughs> and what does Brady do? And to John Madden's credit, after that, he eventually said, like, Brady's not going to make mistakes. And I'm paraphrasing now, but he said, you're not going to take a lot of risks with a quarterback like Brady. He's not going to make mistakes. That's what he said. He talked about how impressed he was with Brady. But at the time, he said, you play for overtime. Brady takes what the defense gives him. Like, there's not a ton of impressive throws on that drive, if you remember back. A couple of dump-offs to J.R. Redmond. Eventually, he finds Jermaine Wiggins for a six-yard completion to set up the Adam Vinatieri field goal, and you win the game. And the rest is history, and there's a dynasty that's born. But to have just the coolness under pressure at that age, there's a debate just a couple of days ago, should you even be the starting quarterback? And he goes down the field, takes exactly what the defense gives him, he doesn't cave to the pressure whatsoever. And then you see that moment on the sideline where he's hitting true blood. So we won. We won. It was just amazing. And this is how this whole thing started. This whole dynasty started with that game against the Rams and Brady going down the field and setting up that game-winning field goal from Adam Vinatieri. Nobody, no Patriots fan will ever forget that game. It was just amazing. I mean, the Patriots started their dynasty as an underdog. It's amazing to think all the way back to 2001, but that was just a remarkable game. And I still, I mean, when they got introduced as a team, that was fucking insane. It was crazy. Okay, number two on my list, and you could argue with putting, and look, you could argue these a lot, but you could argue with putting 2001 in front of my number two. My number two is the Atlanta Super Bowl, just because you were down 28 to three, okay? Brady set the record for completions, attempts, passing yards, which he would eventually break the next Super Bowl against Philly, but you're down 28 to 12, late, okay? Hightower gets the strip sack. Brady, five plays later, finds Amendola. And here's the thing. Remember, you're down 28-12. So he has to find Amendola, and then you have to get the two-point conversion, right? So it's not just a touchdown you need. You need the two-point conversion. You have the direct snap to James White, who we just had on the pod. Well, I'm on the pod after the Eagles game as well. He gets the direct snap. He goes in. Then you have Matt Ryan takes a sack from Trey Flowers, and then you have a holding penalty on Chris Long. Like, the Atlanta Falcons get the ball back. They're up 28-20. to They're in field goal range. And they get knocked out of it because of these plays, just bad plays after that great Julio Jones catch. And then Brady, they get the ball back down 28 to 20 surgical. 10 play drive, 91 yards. You did have that epic Edelman catch, of course. We'll never forget that. But even before that, the unreal pass to Chris Hogan, where it's basically like on a deep comeback. Brady just with an absolute laser to Hogan for 16 yards. It ends with a Brady to James White touchdown. And then you got to have a two-point conversion again, and Brady finds Amendola who gets in, and Edelman's going nuts. He's hitting him on the helmet. It's just amazing. You tie it up at 28-28, to 28, and then once you get to overtime, we all know the game was over. So that pushed Brady in terms of the historical element of this game. It pushed him past Montana with the five Super Bowls, even on the broadcast. 
Joe Buck says to Troy Aikman, is he the greatest quarterback of all time? And Aikman says, yeah, in my mind, he already was. And then you get him the fifth. It's kind of like, yeah, you, you can't really argue to the contrary anymore. There's nobody but Brady in terms of the greatest quarterback of all time, right? So that sort of put him in that different stratosphere where he's the only quarterback to have, of course, five Super Bowls. And of course, he would add another one. But that emotional roller coaster, you were thinking it was over. You were thinking they had no chance, especially at halftime. And they pull this off. And then you have after the game, the famous NFL Films video of LeGarrette Blunt with both Bill Belichick and Tom Brady saying, you're the greatest of all time. You're the greatest of all time. It was just remarkable. And I know like I'm picking hairs here between 2001 and this Super Bowl, but that one to me, it just, as crazy as the first one was where you you beat this epic team with two MVPs, this one to me is just in the moment. It's just insane. And look, the Falcons certainly had to play a role in this, like some idiotic coaching late in that game. But man, that was amazing to me. And I do feel like in some capacity, nothing will ever make up for 2007 because you unequivocally are the best team of all time. Like there's not even an argument of who's the best team, like single season team of all time. It's the 07 Patriots. Like there's no argument if they win that one. So you'll never make up for that one. But I'd say it makes up for the second Giants loss, like having that type of comeback, right? Although you'd like to have one against the Giants, but that was epic. Okay. And the last one on my list, my number one Brady moment slash game is the Seahawks Super Bowl, okay? Brady finishes 37 of 50. 37 of 50, 328 yards against the Legion of Boom. This is by far my favorite Brady performance of all time. His fourth quarter, 13 of 15, 124 and two touchdowns again against the Legion of Boom. He picked them apart. He had a passer rating of 140.7 against a team that was on course to be one of the greatest defenses in the history of the NFL. Sherman, Chancellor, Michael Bennett, Earl Thomas, Bobby Wagner, that team was absolutely loaded. And Brady shut him up in the fourth quarter, just dissected him. And we talk about the Falcons Super Bowl. They were down 10 in the fourth quarter against Seattle, and Brady sliced them up. Now, of course, you needed that epic Malcolm Butler interception, but I mean, they got some luck on that drive too. Remember the crazy catch, but you were owed that one after the helmet catch. Like, you were owed a crazy play. But think about the Patriots. In that game, they ran the ball 21 times for just 57 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. Being down 10, the Patriots were, when you couldn't run the ball to begin with, they knew that Tom Brady had to throw the ball. Like, there was no trickery. There was no deception. There was no running game that you could use and implement as well. No, you had to throw the football and Brady just dissected them. And what Brady did there, one of the things he's done throughout his career, he prevented a legacy. The Seahawks, they win that. That's back-to-back Super Bowl wins over Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, the two best quarterbacks of that era. They would be considered the best defense of all time if they did that. Like, I'm not talking about single season. Like, single season, 85 Bears. Greatest defense. Like, they're in the argument. The 2000 Ravens are in the argument. The 2002 Bucks are in the argument. Like, the greatest defense is single season of all time. But you have a sustained two-year run like that, it's unmatched in NFL history. You take down Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. I mean, that is a ridiculous legacy to sort of hold if you're that team. Brady doesn't let it happen, and you ruin that team forever. Now, a lot lot of it is self-inflicted, like the Malcolm Butler situation, that ruined that team as an organization. Pete Carroll recently talked about it with Richard Richard Sherman. But beating that team in that type of pressure down 10 and Brady finally getting back remember it had been a decade they hadn't won a Super Bowl since 2004 and this was the first one where it was sort of like unequivocally Brady's team 
Like the first dynasty, you can say a lot of it is, okay, well, yeah, it's built on the defense. It's built on Belichick. Brady was great, but Belichick was there. The defense was great. You had all these stars, the Rodney Harrisons, the Ty Laws, the Teddy Bruskies, the Richard Seymours. But this one was Brady's and unequivocally Brady's for what he did to that Seattle defense in the fourth quarter. So that is my favorite one. This solidified him as the guy of that decade. He played some of his best quarterback play of all time from 14 to 18. It's arguably the best run that we've seen over a five-year period. Now, Mahomes probably have something to say about that in a couple of years after he continues to play at the level he's playing, but that was by far my favorite Brady moment is beating Seattle because it felt like, are they ever going to get it again? Are they going to get back and win a Super Bowl? And they would win two more after that. It's what sort of started the second Patriots dynasty. So those are my top five moments slash games of the Brady era. Some honorable mentions, like there's so many, right? There's so many moments. 2014 against the Ravens in that divisional round, down two touchdowns. He had 367 yards in that game. In that game too, what a great team win. Remember you took a, a, took advantage of a loophole in the rule book where John Harbaugh is yelling, like, is he ineligible? Is he eligible? Remember that whole situation? Like you had guys lining up that were ineligible and the Ravens thought they were eligible. And then you also had the Julian Edelman touchdown pass in that game. That's one of my all-time favorite games, but not from a Brady perspective, just from a Patriot perspective. So that certainly needs to be mentioned. And random games, like remember when they were wearing the Pat the Patriot uniforms in the snow against the Titans and he threw five touchdowns in one quarter. It was remarkable. The Jaguars come back in 2017, even though they didn't win the Super Bowl in 2017. We talked about this recently where you had no Gronk and you had no Edelman. Edelman was injured. Gronk left with a concussion. That game was epic where you're down 10 and Danny Amendola takes over. Of course, you got to mention the tuck rule game because of what that means historically. The Panthers Super Bowl is another underrated one. 354 yards, two touchdowns. Of course, he set up the Vinatieri field goal late. And then you think about some of the regular season games where remember when the 2007 run, the undefeated season, Anthony Smith of the Steelers said that they were going to beat the Patriots and Tom Brady runs down the field, starts yelling at him. So he had so many of these moments. And remember, like, the undefeated Texans on Monday Night Football, 11-0, the Patriots destroyed them. Like, you had so many moments throughout the regular seasons with the Patriots. And, of course, you had great games, like, in the first Dynasty, where you showed up Peyton Manning. But that was more about the defense than it was about Brady. So there's so many other ones you could throw out there. But in terms of my top five, I feel pretty good about that list. All right, let's bring in Jamie McClellan. Jamie, that's my list, top five Brady moments slash games. So where do you disagree? Where do you agree? Is there a moment that I'm missing that you would put in? How would you kind of switch things around here? I, I mean, very hard to argue with that your list. Uh, I'm down with everything you said. I think your, your honorable mentions are all on point as well. I mean, obviously you could some swap some things around. I think I think from like a, I don't know, sentimental point of view, I agree with you in terms of putting the Seahawks Super Bowl one. I think the Falcons one definitely, I feel like it's his you know, his signature moment maybe in his entire career. But I hear you. I like the Seahawks one more, too. One thing I mentioned, too, on top of that was uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Jaguars uh, AFC Championship game, but also should be noted he had that huge cut all across his hand that game, right? It's not Which, brain uh, surgery. <laughs> I mean, or yeah, is it, it heart surgery? Cut, remember, though, right? remember Belichick said that? I know. It was a Which ridiculous quote. It was a ridiculous quote <laughs> that Belichick said. Yes, he played with a huge gash. 
Yeah. I mean, remember what that was a whole controversy, not a controversy, but that was a whole story leading up to the game. Like, how bad is Brady's hand? Like, he right. cut it, handing the ball off to Rex Burkhead. Yeah. I heard that it was, was bad, amazing. though. And that's another great defense that he destroyed in the fourth quarter. Now, we did have yeah. that whole Miles Jack play, which we don't have to talk about that. Like, kind of. And Blake li- Bortles. Yeah, a little bit of controversy there. But all in all, I mean, that was, that was, a tw- and they should have won that Super Bowl, right? I know. But I don't want to do that. Like, that would have been his best performance, maybe. You know, yeah, like he threw 500 yards. Yeah, threw 500 yards. I mean, we could do this like I feel like they kind of if you look at the number of Super Bowls they played and the amount they won where they won six and they lost the three, of course, one to the Eagles and two to the Giants like it can't. And most of those games were close. The only two games that yeah. I felt like the Patriots were never going to lose at no point. The second Rams won because it's just like, OK, they figured out this defense. I mean, they figured out this offense. They couldn't do anything right. And before the game. After when you watch the NFL films, you see Sean McVay just like sucking up to Bill. Very scared. I can't wait to see how they. I can't wait to see how they defend us. All that different type of stuff. You kind of knew. And then yeah. the other one would be the the first Eagles Super Bowl. You mm-hmm. knew they were going to win that game, right? Remember, you had the whole the whole situation. To like years later, would call out Donovan McNabb saying that he wasn't in shape for the end <laughs> of the game, so he had all that. Those are the only two Super Bowls that I felt like there's no chance they're losing this game like Carolina that was a tight one the first Rams one of course when they make the comeback and then the Falcons one of course you're down 28 to 3 and the Seahawks one you're down 10 points in the fourth quarter one of the all-time great defenses so I felt like in a lot of them they could have gone either way so winning six out of nine I mean that's pretty remarkable and like I'm thinking back to just some of the great regular season moments too like when and this is more of a Gronk thing than a Brady thing but in 2014 that team was so good and when Gronk like started to when Gronk was himself mm-hmm. again, remember we made that crazy one-handed catch? I think it was yes. against the Bears, and you kind of felt like, okay, Gronk's back to being Gronk again. So he had these regular season games as well. And, like, some of the regular season games aren't even about Brady to me. Like, the one against the Colts where Gronk throws, uh, who was it, Sergio Moore, <laughs> whoever it was, yeah, out of the club, or Sergio Brown Sergio out of the Brown. club. Like, yeah, it was just, it was insane. So they've had a lot of wins like that. And just the fact that Brady dominated the Steelers for so long. I was going to say that, actually. It just felt good smacking around the Steelers every year, like every single time. Yeah, that's like if you go back to that, er- like the the Brady era, I was never threatened by Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. even though like in 04, I know they ended like the Patriots had that streak where they won the most consecutive regular season or most consecutive games in NFL history. Yeah. And it was stopped by the Steelers on Halloween of 2004. But you never we felt like in the playoffs that yeah, year. Yeah, you never felt like they were actually going to beat the Patriots when it mattered. The they teams, never beat us in a big game. Yeah, they never the, beat us in a big game. The team that and even going to 2016 when they talked about like this is a great offense, Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, like they smacked them in 2016. Yeah. And then the one team that sort of scared you from that era, the Ravens. Yeah, Ravens, the Ravens sure. were the team because they were never Broncos scared. Broncos and Ravens. Yeah. Bro- oh yeah, Broncos in the second dynasty because of that defense. I mean, that defense yeah. was. In 2013, Brady had no receivers in that AFC title game against the Broncos. Remember, like Matthew mm-hmm. Slater was out there; all their guys yeah. were hurt. And so then in 20, 20- not a pretty game. Yeah, and then in 2015, we talked to James White about this the other day. The line was a mess. Remember, they hired Skarnecchia back after that season, and basically that 2015 one was basically about the defense. It had nothing to do with Peyton Manning, which I hate the fact that Peyton Manning has two Super Bowls. He shouldn't have got that second one. He was benched for Brock Osweiler. <laughs> he did come back, but yeah, I remember that. That wasn't pretty. But I was looking up, Brian, while you were talking, I'm like, oh, what are some games that I'm forgetting about? And I looked up that game, the 2015 AFC Championship, because there was that amazing fourth and 10 play with Gronkowski. Yeah. It was like a 40-yard pass, and then Gronk like tiptoes around the end zone to catch it with 10 seconds left. 
And then they missed this two-point conversion, which, in my opinion, when I was watching, Gronk looked open. He was open, yeah. But yep. what I forgot about is in the first half, Gostowski missed an extra point, which is why they had to go for the two-point conversion in the first place, which I did not remember. It's like, damn, things could have yeah. been a little different. I'm with you. And I know, like, the numbers will tell you that Gostowski was, like, unbelievable. I never felt him. confident with that guy. I feel like in every big game, something he yeah. missed a field goal. He missed a lot of extra points. PAT. Yeah, like Vinatieri, yeah. you always felt like, and look, you're comparing him to the most clutch kicker of all time, <laughs> but I do feel like Oskowski, I never felt confident with that guy late in games. And the o- I did think, I mention yeah. the 06 Chargers game? The No, that was a good one, actually. Good that, point. Yeah, that was the whole when they were dan- doing the Sean Merriman lights out thing. Yeah. And LT, yeah, Ladanian Tomlinson was basically crying. They disrespected our team, and it starts with their coach. I'm like, dude, that was a big get over yourself. Yeah, that that was that was massive. That was fun. But I mean, we have so many of these moments. I can't I wait know. for Sunday, man. I just it'll be good to see him. Oh, the building is going to be insane. How long? I, I wonder. Like, we were trying to get some intel from James White, but he didn't have much in terms of what they're actually doing. Like the video montage. If you do a video montage, I don't know if that's a good idea to do before the game because I feel like the crowd is just going to be crying. Like, how are you going to get through the game if you got a, this video montage of Tom Brady? Like all these highlights. You, like, what do you do? How do you fit it in though at halftime? They're not going to have enough time. They're going to have to have an extended, like a Super Bowl halftime length amount of time. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. I almost like it's great that you want all these people and you almost feel like should do it like separate than a game day, like do it on like have the whole thing on Saturday yeah. or something, because it's just it's going to be crazy in there. It's going to be absolutely insane. I'm curious, too, because I think Kraft said before the year, he's like, we're going to have a whole season of celebrating Brady. Like, what else do they have planned? You know, they're going to have to yeah, they're gonna have things each home game. Well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, they I, should. And I mentioned this earlier i hope that the patriots are in this game so we don't hear like we want brady <laughs> poor mac man i know all cautiously optimistic i do think it helps mac that brady's now out of the league right where he's like yeah. we saw brady talking like the pictures recently with those two guys are together but also mm-hmm. it's like we're not talking about oh what if they had tom because we were doing that for so long and yes. hopefully mac this is a big year for mac he's gonna prove himself but yeah Sunday is going to be all about Tom. Like, Max finally get the offensive coordinator back. He's got Bill O'Brien. He's got an actual offensive coordinator. We're starting to feel optimistic about yep. the offense. And then, hey, in comes the Brady guy for the game on Sunday. <laughs> can't shake him. You can't. Never should either. Un- unreal. Unreal. I cannot wait for this thing. All right, Jamie, good stuff. Thanks, Ryan. Go Pats. No doubt about that. And always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172 if you want to talk about the Pats Eagles coming up on Sunday or if you're coming back from that game on Sunday or just watching on TV and you want to react to the Patriots Eagles, leave us a voicemail because, of course, we'll be recording after that game. 617-396-7172, that number. You can email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 
or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.